...useful habit of mind from that time, and a dissatisfaction with the brilliant life society offered her. The change had been so gradual that it was permanent before she realized it. For a while, an active outdoor life, golf, tennis, yachting, kept this realization from becoming morbid introspection. There came a time when even these lost charm for her, and she believed she was indeed ill in mind. Travel did not help her. There had been months of unrest, of curiously painful wonderment that her position, her wealth, her popularity, no longer sufficed. She believed she had lived through the dreams and fancies of a girl to become a woman of the world, and she had gone on as before, a part of the glittering show, but no longer blind to the truth, that there was nothing in her luxurious life to make it significant. Sometimes, from the depths of her, there flashed up at odd moments intimations of a future revolt. She remembered one evening at the opera, when the curtain had risen upon a particularly well-done piece of stage scenery, a broad space of deep desolateness, reaching away under an infinite of night sky illumined by stars. The suggestion it brought of vast wastes of lonely rugged earth, of a great blue-arched vault of starry sky, pervaded her soul with a strange, sweet peace. When the scene was changed, she lost this vague new sense of peace, and she turned away from the stage in irritation. She looked at the long, curved tier of glittering boxes that represented her world. It was a distinguished and splendid world, the wealth, fashion, culture, beauty, and blood of a nation. She, Madeline Hammond, was a part of it. She smiled, she listened, she talked to the men who from time to time strolled into the Hammond box, and she felt that there was not a moment when she was natural, true to herself. She wondered why these people could not somehow, some way, be different. But she could not tell what she wanted them to be, If they had been different, they would not have fitted the place. Indeed, they would not have been there at all. Yet she thought wistfully that they lacked something for her. And suddenly realizing she would marry one of these men if she did not revolt, she had been assailed by a great weariness, an icy, sickening sense that life had palled upon her. She was tired of fashionable society— She was tired of polished, imperturbable men who sought only to please her. She was tired of being feted, admired, loved, followed, and importuned, tired of people, tired of houses, noise, ostentation, luxury. She was so tired of herself. In the lonely distances and the passionless stars of boldly painted stage scenery she had caught a glimpse of something that stirred her soul. The feeling did not last. She could not call it back. She imagined that the very boldness of the scene had appealed to her. She divined that the man who painted it had found inspiration, joy, strength, serenity in rugged nature. And at last she knew what she needed. To be alone, to brood for long hours, to gaze out on lonely, silent, darkening stretches to watch the stars, to face her soul, 
to find her real self. Then it was. She had first thought of visiting the brother, who had gone west to cast his fortune with the cattlemen. As it happened, she had friends who were on the eve of starting for California, and she made a quick decision to travel with them. When she calmly announced her intention of going out west, her mother had exclaimed in consternation, and her father, surprised into pathetic memory of the black sheep of the family, had stared at her with glistening eyes. Why, Madeline, you want to see that wild boy? Then he had reverted to the anger he still felt for his wayward son, and he had forbidden Madeline to go. Her mother forgot her haughty poise and dignity. Madeline, however, had exhibited a will she had never before been known to possess. She stood her ground even to reminding them that she was twenty-four and her own mistress. In the end...